And I want to read a story. Um, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, uh, those are historical books in the Old Testament. They, they tell us the history of God's people. The books of 1 and 2 Samuel are written not by Samuel, but uh, from the perspective of Samuel. This was a season uh, where Samuel was the prophet of God uh, for the nation of Israel, and, and he, he led God's people in an in a important time in the history of the nation of Israel. It was under Samuel that that God anointed a king in Saul, and then eventually that God anointed King David. And some of you may remember the story of Samuel going uh, to Jesse, David's father, and saying, I'm here to anoint a king. And, and Jesse sends out his firstborn son, and Samuel says, no, that's not the guy. And he, he sends out all these sons, and he goes, do you have anybody left? He goes, well, we have the, the youngest, and he's out with the sheep. And, and Jesse says, this is the one, because Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And even as we think about these kids up here on the stage today, uh, God sees their hearts and, and God has a plan for them. But Samuel was an important uh, figure in the history of the nation of Israel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 4, we have a historical account uh, of, of a battle that took place. So let me read it to you. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1, it starts off, and Samuel's words came to all Israel, and that's really the concluding part of chapter 3, as God uh, grew Samuel to be a prophet. But then it says, Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped at Ebenezer while the Philistines camped at Aphek. Uh, the word Ebenezer means rock of God. This was a place of remembrance where God had delivered them in the past. The Philistines lined up in battle formation against Israel, and as the battle intensified, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who struck down about 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the troops returned to the camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord defeat us today before the Philistines? Let's bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh, then it will go with us and save us from our enemies." So the people sent men to Shiloh to bring back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord entered the camp, all the Israelites raised such a loud shout that the ground shook. The Philistines heard the sound of the war cry and asked, what's this loud shout in the Hebrews' camp? When the Philistines discovered that the ark of the Lord had entered the camp, they panicked. A God has entered the camp, they said. Woe to us, nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who will rescue us from these magnificent gods? These are the gods who slaughtered the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Show some courage and be men, Philistines. Otherwise, you'll serve the Hebrews just as they serve you. Now, be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and each man fled to his tent. The slaughter was severe. 30,000 of the Israelite foot soldiers fell. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now, this seems kind of like a, a strange story. It took place a long time ago, but this is a historical reality. The nation of Israel went out to fight. The Philistines were their greatest adversaries at this time in history. They went to fight with no thought of, of God's plan or God's will or God's desires. 
And they were defeated, and so they thought, let's get, let's get the Ark of the Covenant. That's worked in the past. Let's try that. And they were defeated in an even greater way. And they said, why? Why would God allow this to happen? And this morning, I want us to consider the Israelites. I want us to consider what came to their mind when they thought of God. And then I want us to consider in our own lives what comes to our mind when we think of God. A.W. Tozer was a pastor and author, and he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In our culture today, uh, there's a lot of people who believe in God, but it's a God that they've made in their own image. It's their version of God. They, are, uh, they don't want to submit to the God of the Bible and his instructions, but, but they want some kind of spiritual momentum or spiritual reality in their life, and so they confess a God, but it's not the God of the Bible. Some people think of God as a cheerleader, that he's just kind of on the sidelines saying, go, 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 you can do it, you can do it, I believe in you. Right there, favorite verse is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is a wonderful verse. But taken out of context, God will just bless anything I do and he's just there to cheer me on and make sure I have success. And there's some people who think of God in that way. He's just a cheerleader on the sidelines. He doesn't really get in the game with us. He's just there to cheer us on and make us feel good about ourselves. There's some people who think of God kind of like a waiter just there to refill our glass when it's empty. You know, um, maybe if he does a good job, we'll give him a tip. But he's not there to sit with us at the table of our life, to interact with us. We don't really speak to him unless we need something. We don't ask many questions. We're really just busy with those seated at our table, and every once in a while, we might shake our glass in the air over here. Some people think of God in that way. Some people think about God kind of like a landlord. You never think about the landlord unless the disposal breaks, right? And then you call the landlord. As long as you stay up to date on your rent check, you want the landlord to come in when there's a problem, but most of the time you never think about him. The nation of Israel had approached God in this way through the book of Judges, which precedes 1 Samuel. We've talked about this for the last couple of weeks, and right at the beginning of 1 Samuel, we see that the nation of Israel, they haven't thought much about God. It says that they just did what was right in their own eyes, and they kind of worshiped the way they wanted to worship, when they wanted to worship, and they just approached God on their own terms. These two men, Hophni and Phinehas, that we just read about in this passage were priests, but they were wicked men who took from people and exploited people, who lived sinful lives says that they did not fear God. And that was an example of the nation of Israel. And so Israel goes into battle and they're defeated and they say, I know what, let's get the Ark of the Covenant. That'll ensure victory. The nation of Israel viewed God kind of like a lucky rabbit's foot. I know what, we'll just get the Ark and then we'll go into battle. 
there was no repentance, there was no fear of the Lord, there was no seeking God and his direction and will. They wanted to do life on their terms and just take God along for the ride. And if we're being honest, sometimes that's how we approach God. And we can look all around us in our culture and we can see that we live in a world that wants to acknowledge God but doesn't want to submit to God. Right? We live in a culture that doesn't want God to interfere in my life. I don't want God to to bother me, but if something goes wrong, I want to be mad at him. And that's how Israel approached their relationship with God at this point in their history. So we can see through Israel that what we think about God determines the decisions we make. They went into this battle with the Philistines for their own reasons, for their own motivation. They didn't seek the Lord, they just went for it. Maybe they wanted some glory. Maybe they wanted to take some land back. Maybe they wanted to, to, to find treasure and riches from the spoils of war. But they went in with no thought of God. They, they went in without seeking him, without seeking his will, without any thought of his plan and desire for their life. They just rushed in to battle, and there's many times in our lives where we just rush in. We just go for it. Say, God, here's what I'm doing. Help me out. Actually, we, we usually don't even say that. We just go for it. We don't even think about God until things go wrong. Until things go wrong, and that's exactly what happened to Israel, they rushed into this battle and they were defeated and they couldn't believe it. And they say, God, why would you allow this to happen to us? And maybe you've been there in your life. You've hit a wall and you say, God, why would you allow this to happen to me? And I would just ask you to reflect. (laughs) When you made the decisions that led to that circumstance, were you seeking God? And maybe you were, maybe you were. But what we think about God not only determines the decisions that we make, it also determines how we deal with disappointment. What we think about God determines how we deal with disappointment. We will all face disappointment. Some of it will be of our own making. We've all made decisions we wish we could take back. We've all said things we wish we hadn't said. We've all spent money that we shouldn't have spent, and we reap the consequences of that. And a lot of times we blame God for the choices that we've made, and we say, God, why would you let this happen to me? When we should be saying, how did I get here, and why didn't I seek God on the journey? But sometimes we face disappointment, and it's not about any decision that we made. It's, it's a circumstance of life. It's a, it's a sickness. It's, it's someone who's hurt us or take advantage of us or, or who's been dishonest with us. And, and we face disappointment, the loss of a loved one. 
There are people asking questions. God, why would you allow this to happen? And it has nothing to do with the decision that they've made. But what we believe about God determines how we process even those disappointments, even the heartbreaking things in life that don't make sense. This past week, I sat with someone who asked me, why, why? Why do these kind of things happen? Why does God allow these things to happen? And in reference to all that we face personally here as a church and in the culture around us, in our nation, the tragedies of this last week. And what we think about God determines how we'll process those things. Is God kind? as the kids reminded us this morning? Is he trustworthy, as they reminded us this morning? Is he perfect, as they reminded us this morning? Because if he is, we can trust him even when things don't make sense. As I told you, we had a celebration of life service for Emerson, Marcourt this week. She was three years old and her parents stood on this stage and they declared that God is faithful and that they have hope because they trust the God who created their little girl and who gave them their little girl. Can we trust God? I believe we can because he's proven himself trustworthy We're going to get to that in just a minute, but the nation of Israel certainly should have trusted God. I mean, he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He sustained them for 40 years in the promised land with manna and quail. He led them across the Jordan on dry land. He drove out the nations before them. They conquered Jericho by marching around the city seven times. Come on. (laughs) He sustained them. He provided for them. He gave them direction. He gave them a home, a hope, and a future. God was trustworthy, and yet, over and over, we see that they stop seeking God. They turn their back on God. And when the disappointments come, they blame God. But God is trustworthy, and what we think about him determines how we deal with disappointment. Here's the last thing, and I'm going to wrap up pretty quick as we celebrate communion together today. But what we think about God determines our eternal destiny. At the end of this story, we see that Israel rushed into battle, they were defeated, and they thought, you know what, let's get God on our side. Let's bring out the Ark of the Covenant. That'll do the trick. We'll conquer them for sure. And their defeat was even worse. Their defeat was even worse, and the two priests of God who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, Hophni and Phinehas, were killed in the battle. If you remember the last few weeks, God had already pronounced judgment on these two priests who did not fear God and who lived in a way that was 
outrageous before the Lord. And we see that God judged Hophni and Phinehas because chapter 3 told us that these men did not fear the Lord. What we think about God determines our eternal destiny. Ultimately, when we baptize this morning, we ask the question, have you trusted in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? The extended version of that, when I sit down and, and talk with people about baptism, I ask them if they trusted in Jesus to be their Savior, and then I say, and, and what has he saved you from? <laughs> well, he saved me from sin. And how did he do that? By dying on the cross and raising from the grave. What we think about God determines our eternal destiny. There's lots of people who want to kind of have a token God, a good luck charm God. James chapter 2 verse 19 says, you believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. What we believe about God, it, it determines our decisions, it determines how we process disappointment, and it determines our eternal destiny. As we find Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 4, God was just a means to an end for them. He was not the king and Lord. He was not their savior. So that's 1 Samuel chapter four. That's the Old Testament. That's thousands of years ago. What does that have to do with us today? Well, Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three says this. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by prophets at different times and in different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God revealed himself to Israel in a certain way at a certain period in history. But in these last days, he has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the heir of all things, who made the universe, this scripture tells us. He is the exact expression of God the Father's nature. He sustains all things. But even though he is creator and sustainer of life, he is also the one who purified us by giving his life, by taking on human flesh, and by becoming obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. And so when you think about God, what do you think of? Is God just someone who's supposed to bless you and make everything okay for you? That you just ask to 
tap in every once in a while to refill your drink, to fix your disposal, to cheer from the sidelines. When you're disappointed, is God just someone to blame? Or is God really good and really perfect and really sinless? I didn't know how it was gonna go with the kids earlier, but man, they did good. They had some good stuff to say. Who is God to you? Because what you think of when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because it determines how you'll live. It determines how you'll process disappointment. It, it determines your eternal destiny. God's word says, it is appointed unto man once to die. That is, there's an end for all of us. The statistics on death are pretty good. One out of every one person. And after that, the judgment. Oh, I don't like to think of God as a judge. Well, it really doesn't matter how you like to think about God. God is God. God tells us who he is. And he's told us through his word. God tells us what he expects of us. And he tells us through his word. God tells us how we can know him. And he tells us through his word. God tells us that we are sinners, but we are loved. And God tells us that he made a way through Jesus Christ that we can have a relationship through with him. What comes to your mind when you think about God? In 1 Samuel chapter 4, the nation of Israel blew it. But today, I want to challenge you. Believer, Christian, those who have called on the name of Jesus Christ for salvation, who have confessed him as King and Lord of your life. How is what you believe about God affecting the decisions that you make every day? How is what you believe about God affecting how you deal with and process disappointment? There are those in here this morning who, who have never come to a place of faith, who have never confessed Jesus with your mouth and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Maybe God has just been a, a distant thought for you. Just uh, maybe a cheerleader, maybe a waiter, maybe a landlord, I don't know. Maybe unknowable. But this morning, I want you to know that God has revealed himself to us through the person of Jesus Christ, and we can know him. And this morning, if you've never come to a place of faith, I just want to ask you, what comes to your mind when you think about God? Because it will determine your eternal destiny. It is appointed unto man once to die, but after that, judgment. And we will either be judged as 
unrighteous, that is, in sin, because that's what we all are, right? We all do things that are selfish. We all do things uh, that put ourselves before others in little ways and in really big ways too. We all think things that we shouldn't think and we make decisions that we regret. And we will either be judged based on our own record of unrighteousness or we will be judged as righteous. Not based on our own righteousness, but based on a righteousness that is not our own. A righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says, God made him, Jesus Christ, who never sinned, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What comes to your mind when you think about God? Is it the one who clothes you in robes of righteousness? Is it the one who gave his only son for your salvation this morning if you've never come to Jesus in faith? I urge you, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. He sustains all things by his powerful word, and after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In just a minute, we're gonna take communion together. Communion is for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. If you've never come to a place of faith when the communion tray has passed by you, I would, I would ask you not to partake. Because when we take communion, we declare something. We declare that we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that his blood washes away our sins and that his body was broken for us. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, when we take communion, we should do so reverently. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 27 says, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we wouldn't be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. As scripture says, when you take this table, examine your heart and mind. What comes to your mind when you think about God? Do you love and honor and fear him? I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to have a time just to sing and pray a time of reflection and I also want to open up the front the altar this morning if you just want to come and pray and say God I the decisions that I have been making reflect poorly about what I think about you God the way I've been processing disappointment reflects poorly on the way I think about you. Help me to live my life in submission to who you truly are. And maybe there's someone this morning who's never come to a place of faith confessing your sin and that Jesus 
came to die for your sin and to be your savior, man, there is nothing better that could happen today than for you to come to that place of faith. And I would love to pray for you as we sing in just a moment. Just come grab me by the hand and let me show you how you can know Jesus as Savior. But as we sing, if God is moving in your heart, I invite you to respond. And after a few moments, I'll ask the deacons to come forward and we'll partake in communion together. So God, we love you. Thank you that we can know who you are because you've revealed yourself to us. And through Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, you have revealed that you are good and loving and kind and trustworthy, perfect, savior, healer, sustainer. Help us to trust who you truly are and submit to who you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, I invite you to respond.